Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hey Dave. Yeah Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself. And for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hello and welcome back to the Psych Legal Pop Podcast. This is a podcast where we talk about popular culture through the lens of an attorney and a therapist. I'm Tess Brigham. I'm the therapist. And I'm Brooke Brigham. I'm the attorney. So today we are covering Get Gotti. This is a new three-part documentary on Netflix. And um, and I have to say, I thought I knew things about Gotti and, and, and you know, um, mafia and crime in the 80s. But I really didn't. I had no idea that he <laughs> was able to beat the rap three times. And yeah. then, you know, it really, it took a lot to get Gotti. And I thought this was really well done. What do you, the thing is, is that I don't, I'm wondering, what do you remember about Gotti and, and that time? Because I do remember vaguely hearing about the Teflon Dawn. Mm-hmm. I remember hearing about, how, you know, this person, but we, we grew up in California mm-hmm. and he's very much a New York, New York post. Like he was written about a lot more there. So I don't. He was covered nationally, but he wasn't covered as much as he was covered in New York. Yeah, well, I mean, definitely John Gotti was part of the cultural zeitgeist of the 80s. Mm-hmm. You know, everyone knew who he was. And, um, you know, I was uh, I, when I was looking online about, you know, some reaction to this documentary and in this Rolling Stone article, they called uh, Gotti. He, they said he was the Trump of mobsters. <laughs> And I felt like yeah. that really, because that was yes. also the era of Trump. Yes, big in Trump 1980s era. in in New York, mm-hmm. and it's kind of true. Like he was, you know, most most uh, mobsters, you know, they wore sweatsuits mm-hmm. and you know, think the Sopranos, yes, <laughs> you know, tracksuits, <laughs> tracksuits, yeah. and you know, they're not real glamorous. Gotti, you know, he was wearing these very very expensive suits. They call them the Dapper Dawn, mm-hmm. two thousand um, dollar suits. Which, in which the is 80s a lot of money. A lot of money. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and um, you know, he, he was much more into the the flashiness, and he really liked the attention. Mm-hmm. You know, just like Trump. Yes, and, you know he he and and people liked him. Yeah, you know, it was look very at, popular. Look at all the people who showed up 
to cheer him on every time he would get acquitted. Yes. It was like, what is happening here? Yes. You know, and also, too, this was the era of, you know, all the movies, Goodfellas Mm -hmm. and and Godfather and well, God, yeah. Well, the other thing too is, and they talk about this in the documentary, is New York in the '80s. So our father took us to New York. It was 1987, mm-hmm. and I remember going there and being like, "This place is disgusting." <laughs> it really like, was. Very I seedy. was just like, "Oh, I think we stayed in Times Square. It was so gross, yeah. and just all of it seems so seedy." And so one thing, and they say this in the documentary about how you know it was pretty much lawlessness. Mm-hmm. You know, New York in the 70s and 80s was the crime was up Mm -hmm. you know um no one you know people people were um being assaulted on the streets like this was the bernie getz time this was like all a lot a lot was happening and it really felt like and i can imagine if i were if i lived in new york and i saw how i felt like maybe the police weren't protecting me mm-hmm. and here's the teflon don who keeps getting it over on them and it's i, th- I can understand how he became this hero to people yeah. because they d- people did not feel safe and here was this guy who obviously you shouldn't be worshiping you shouldn't be worshiping a, a stone cold killer but at the same time it was this people almost got excited about the fact that he was beating them, Mm -hmm. you know? And yeah, because the police weren't really well regarded and yeah. And, you know, I think there's something about, because look at how many movies and stuff we do have about the mob. Yes. There's, you know, it's romanticized by Hollywood and they kind of ignore that, you know, it's a, it's a violent criminal organization. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I, I think also too, what appeals to people is, I think people secretly wish that they kind of fantasize about like being able to tell people to fuck off mm-hmm. with no consequences. Yeah. You know, because that's what the gangsters can do. It's like mm-hmm. they, they can they can do whatever they want. Yeah. You know, and people are afraid of them. And I think people secretly kind of wish, God, I wish I could do that. Well, you know <laughs> what it is? It's sort of like in that world, in that culture, if you're wronged, you can get revenge. Mm-hmm. Like right. that is so much of it. And I think that every single person, and there are people in my life that you would, I would just love to just smack, <laughs> you know, <laughs> I mean, you, you would just kill to be able to just walk up to them and just give them a just couple of whacks them. and just yeah. punch them a few times. I don't want to kill them, yeah. but, but it's that freedom. And that thing of you wronged me, I'm going to take revenge on you. And I think that it is, you know, it is very glamorous. It's easy. It's easy money, quote unquote. But, you know, you're making tons of money. You've got respect Mm -hmm. people. You know, you can't step on your don't step on my foot, you know, Mm -hmm. and all of that. But the flip side of it is, is that it's a you know, it's it's a profession and a world where there's only two endings, prison or death. And and so. I think that's the other part of it, too, that's so that's hard is I think none of us want the consequences, but we want that feeling that power, that power. So but the um, I was going to say something else, but I can't remember now. It'll come to me. Yeah. So this all starts with um, it all starts December 16th, 1985. Paul Castellano, who is the boss of the Gimbino crime family is murdered he is murdered along with tommy gelati his you know his number two and tommy gelati or i thought it was bilotti oh bilotti i'm sorry um there's a lot of oddies itties 
Yeah, he yeah. he's the guy who the um, Joe Pesci character in Goodfellas is um, modeled after. That's supposed yeah. to be him. And so it's pretty well known. They're gunned down in the street. In front of the Spark Steakhouse. <laughs> and basically, it's known, it's not really much of a secret, that John Gotti is behind it. Mm-hmm. And so quickly, John Gotti rises up. He's now the head of the crime family. And... Um, and so we meet a lot of various characters as we go through. We meet Anthony Rugagano Jr. He's a mobster as well. We meet George Gabriel. He's the FBI agent. There's lots of characters. But this is one thing. This is what I was going to say. My note. Um, and it's something that this uh, Anthony said, which is, you know, mobsters are not supposed to draw attention to themselves. Mm -hmm. You are not supposed to, quote-unquote, whack somebody out in the middle of the street. It's supposed to be very secretive. And so I think that really, the way in which he they killed... Paul Castellano and, and all of that, just how brazen. how brazen he was from the first moment and the fact that I'm going to put this out there to you. Yeah. So, anyway. Was, and the guy, um, the federal prosecutor, the guy that kind of looked like Gary Delabate, what? <laughs> <laughs> That's George. <laughs> That's George Gar- Gabriel, the FBI agent, yeah. the main guy. The main yeah. guy. Yeah. Yeah. When I saw him back in the 80s, I was like, oh, my God, Baba Booey. Like- <laughs> <laughs> Baba Booey, Baba Booey. Um, yeah. Yeah. So then we go back to um, they kind of give us the uh, sort of what what was going on beforehand. So in May of 1973, um, the, a mobster, James McBratney um, in Staten Island, he um, they find out that he's kidnapping Italian mobsters and holding them for ransom. And Gotti and two men, you know, they went and killed Bratney and John was arrested for the first time. And then he got out. Um, wait, this is what are you talking no. about? <laughs> oh, what, am I lost my notes? No. Is this not what you have next? I don't know. You always take much better notes than I do. Oh, OK. But- well, basically, I think he was arrested. He he served a couple years, but that really solidified him, those killings. And suddenly he was a made guy. This is how he rose up. He went to prison for four years. Yeah. And came out a made man. And that's right. And I wrote I had I was got confused because I wrote 1997. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. In 1977. OK, well, so he, gets, he was very ambitious. Yes, he was. He, yes, I should say he that. wanted to work his way up. In the mob. Oh, well, and also four years for murder. How does that happen? And I think, was this the years of the 70s? Because back then in the 70s, you would serve maybe yeah. six months to three years for oh, rape. It was it was like that in California, too. Murder the, or murder. E- and everything. everything. For a long time, they had that indeterminate sentencing. And yeah. And then and then it like went the pendulum swung completely the yeah. opposite way. And then the every the sentences started to become like very harsh. Yes. But anyway, anyway that, 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 that was the 70s. Yes. <laughs> so. So that's this is just this is the backstory. This is how he became known. He became a made man. He he and these other guys killed this killed these mobs, these guys that were killing, um, kidnapping Italian yeah. mobsters. Basically. And then the FBI was very frustrated because, you know, nobody will testify. Oh, yeah. And they they for years, you know, were trying to penetrate this organization, this family. But, you know, people were 
like they're supposed to be. Mm-hmm. They're tight-lipped. They won't testify. Well, and so in what happened was that the FBI was trying to get Gotti, but also there's this other, the OCTF, which is the Organized Crime Task Force. Mm-hmm. They were also trying to get him. And this complicated things because there were these two two entities or two I don't know even what you would call them, like battling against each other well, about the state. Yes, yeah, the state, state versus the, feds. the federal, yeah. right? So it's like who's going to get the glory right. as opposed to all teaming up together? But right, whatever. which at the end they admit that they could have gotten him a lot sooner. Yes, if they would have just worked together. But no, it's very competitive. Like yeah. the FBI, the Department of Justice, they wanted to be the ones. Yes, you know. So the first thing that they did was. Gotti hung out at this club called the Bergen Fish Club. Hunt and Fish Club. Hunt and Fish Club in Queens. And the OCTF, they managed to get a wire in the club. Um, And that happened seven months before Castellano was killed. And, you know, they were talking about how they would tail these guys all day long. Um and that getting this bug in was very, very complicated, mm-hmm. just trying to figure out how to do this. And, um, you know, they go through the story. I won't get into it about like how they did eventually get a guy into the um, into the club. And um, so then Castellano dies and they start going back through their tapes and they started to discover that there was a lot of, you know, Gotti was talking about Castellano, that he had all these issues with him. He didn't want, you know, that Castellano didn't want the mob to have anything to do with drugs. We saw this, too, in um, Goodfellas, this idea of, right, these gangsters don't like to touch. They don't want you dealing drugs because dealing Mm -hmm. drugs, there's really long sentences. And the longer the sentences, the more someone has incentive to flip. Mm hmm. So they didn't, he didn't want those drugs and Gotti thought that was BS. So anyway. Wait. Oh, cause, oh yeah. Cause Gotti's brother and best friend were drug dealers. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, so, so Castellano was basically, you know, talking about how he wanted Gotti out of the picture. Yes. And um, so basically. And he, he snubbed him. He snubbed him. He appointed this Tommy Bellotti guy. As the, underboss. As the underboss and um, John thought he was next in line and and he basically knew he was going to be killed so he mm-hmm. just strike strikes first oh and I love this because yes. they heard Castellano talking about like well it's almost Christmas um, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll kill him basically we'll kill him after the holidays and Gotti is uh, he he was just incensed by that he's yeah. like a gangster doesn't give a fuck about Christmas <laughs> and so he just like just killed them. <laughs> Right before Christmas. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. So, um, yeah. Yeah. They talk about how then Gotti basically owned the city, every Mm -hmm. union, you know, every bricklayer. You couldn't pour cement with everyone had to pay, you know, a hundred bucks or a hundred thousand dollars a day to to the Gambino family. And um but yeah. Gotti was never questioned about Castellano. Nope. Um, by the police. But there was this case. The case in Queens. The road rage oh, case. This one. Yeah. Um, what does that have to do with Castellano's murder? Nothing. Basically, 
what happened was that Gotti, in 1984, Gotti and this guy, Rom, Romval Piek, um, who was a refrigerator pearman, they got into a fight over a parking space. Mm-hmm. And Rom, Romval had no idea who Gotti was. Mm-hmm. He obviously would not have taken a stand. But essentially, what happened was that the guy, um, that Gotti got incensed and he got he smacked the guy in front of a bunch of witnesses and um he was arrested right away so the case happened that happened in 1984 but they went to court in 1986 for assault in a robbery case against Gotti but they couldn't find they couldn't find Rum Rumval at he all he disappeared he disappeared but then they found him in a prison i mean a prison in a hospital out in Nassau County and um Yes, <laughs> they well, found him yeah. out there. It was a and, bit of a and, mess. And, and guess what? He didn't want to testify. Yeah, he and, testified and wouldn't point to Gotti. Right. He basically was like, no. And so the charges were dropped. And basically, like, killing witnesses, intimidating witnesses, that was just routine. Mm-hmm. That was just the cost of doing business. Well, yeah, and they, they interview a lot of reporters, and one of the reporters said that, you know, back then in the 80s, this goes back to, like, the feeling of lawlessness and all of that, was that the 80s were pretty grim. You know, a lot of stuff was happening and and um, that what was great about John Gotti was he was fun to follow. He was mm-hmm. fun to talk about. Mm-hmm. It was he and this also in the 80s became the tabloid era, mm-hmm. the era of National Enquirer and Star and all these other magazines and People magazine and plus all of the tabloid news shows that were happening. You know, yeah. he was a good story. I thought the 80s were fun. Oh, yeah. I don't know. I mean. I'm not quite sure. Um, I thought the 80s were, I don't know. It's hard for me to remember now, but. I think it was grim in terms of. In terms of of New York, though. uh, Well, in terms of New York, yeah. But I mean, you know, like, I don't know. To me, God, the 80s just seemed like a fun time where you could just. (laughs) Maybe because I was in high school and um, college in that time. But life it was fun if you just didn't pay attention yeah. to like, you know, all the outside stuff. And that's why, yeah. When you look at the music of the eighties mm-hmm. and all, everything's just, is, you know, and all this, it's just kind of like, let's, let's, let's have fun. You know, yes. like everything was, was grim, but, uh, yeah. But it was also the part, because Gotti, Gotti did this really well, was the 80s were very much about opulence and yes. this was Trump and the gold yes. sinks and Wall Street and mm-hmm. making money. And yeah, Gotti represented that. Mm-hmm. It was this idea of a smart businessman. It's aspirational. It, yes, very <laughs> aspirational. So at the end of episode one, we meet this woman, Diane. Giacalone. Giacalone. She's an assistant U.S. attorney. And she had a case against Gotti, and she felt like, I have a really good case, and I'm going to get him. Mm-hmm. And there we go. We're now on to episode two. Um, and then they start, they tell us a lot of various stories <laughs> that are hard to like, okay, yeah. now how has this got to do with this? And how has this got to do with this? But basically, this was in September of 1986. It was a, it was a RICO case. And Diane was a girl from the neighborhood. And um, this was she was determined. Scotty? Yes. Okay. Yes. So um, basically, she felt like she had a lot of good witnesses. And, 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 and this was the problem was that there was one witness, this one, um, a Gotti loyalist named Willie Boy Johnson. 
And he then became a rat for cooperating with the FBI for years. And um, so the big thing was, do you... So they were really worried that if Gotti found out that Willie Boy Johnson was testifying, that that he was a rat, that... So they were debating whether or not, do we include him? Do we not include him? Do we include him in the indictment? And the big thing is Jack alone in open court... um, admits and talks about this guy in open court in her opening statement Mm. about how we have this guy, Willie Boy Johnson, and he's been an informant. And and they learn that this guy has been this informant for 15 years. So Willie Boy was currently in in the mob with Gotti. He was a loyal friend to Gotti. Gotti thought they were friends. Mm -hmm. And this whole time for 15 years, this guy, Willie Boy, had been... um, working with the FBI and she admits this in open court and well, it's a bit of a mess. She, had, she didn't do anything. What did she think was going to happen? Yeah. She didn't do anything to protect the guy. Well, and also the FBI was pissed because Willie boy was their guy that they were surveilling and working with and he was informing for them and that blew his cover. So they well, were mad, but she was, she was from the DOJ too. I mean, she was part of the, Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is the other thing that we find out is even though if you work for the same department, (laughs) even if you Uh both work for the FBI FBI or Department of Justice, then doesn't necessarily like every it's all about like who's going to get the glory. Well, the FBI is the law enforcement component of it. The Department of Of Justice Justice. is the prosecution. Okay. So the FBI goes out, they collect evidence, they make a case, they turn it over to the prosecutors mm-hmm. in the Department of Justice. This is the Eastern District of New York. And then they're the ones who actually try the case. Okay. So, so yeah, I so guess... they, they, they're working together. Yeah, but they, but they, they felt they were mad because I don't think they wanted that to be the cover to be blown, which is, and, and also, Oh, because they wanted to keep using this. They guy. wanted to keep using yeah. this guy, but Jacqueline felt like she needed to talk about him. And again, you kind of look at this woman thinking, well, what did you think was going to happen? I know. Well, what did happen? So, <laughs> uh, basically, um, let's see. We meet. Um, so, so what happened was that her case had a lot of witnesses. And the problem was that. They were all, you know, obviously the witnesses are going to be other mafia guys, mm-hmm. quote unquote, like low lives. And the problem was that um, Gotti had this very flamboyant oh, you know, lawyer. lawyer, Bruce Cutler. He was who, great. Who, um, you know, he crucified Jacqueline. He, you know, he was he just did everything that he needed to do. He was very big. He apparently the, the thing was that he also wanted to be a mobster. Apparently, oh, like, yeah. So. He eviscerated all of these witnesses mm-hmm. because, I mean, how can you believe you're a liar? You're right. a lowlife. You're a creep. You're this. And um, you're a rat. You're a rat. <laughs> yeah. And let's see. And then one guy, this one guy, we see this Matthew Tra- Trainer. He was a real problematic witness because originally he was going to testify for Jacqueline for the for the DOJ. And then he like he took everything back and basically said Jacqueline bribed him. Mm. And, um, and then he eventually later got 
prosecuted for perjury. But this guy was like, oh, no, I'm not testifying against Gotti either. So Gotti gets acquitted on all charges. And it was the first successful defense of a RICO case. Wow. And that's why it was. That's why he seemed untouchable. Yeah. And so a lot of people were giving the credit to Cutler but apparently someone paid one of the jurors yeah. $60,000, which in 1986 is a lot of money. So once he beat that rap, he started, he became like internet. He was on time magazine. Um, he was partying with Warhol and David Bowie rock stars. Yeah. This is when they named him the Dapper Dawn. Um, and so he had this outside persona as this Dapper Dawn, but you know, underneath it all, he was ruthless Right. You know, he was a killer. Yeah. And that was somebody made this comment uh, in talking about his persona at some point in the documentary where they said, you know, people loved these two thousand dollar silk suits that he wore, but they didn't think about where the money, how he got the money to buy that suit. Yes. You know, basically killing people. Well, and so the so the government said, okay, the FBI said, we need a different tact. We can't keep putting witnesses on. Mm-hmm. Like, we can't do that. So it goes back to, we've got to get a wire in. We've mm-hmm. got to get him, Gotti, saying on tape, and, you know, telling us what he's doing. That is the only way we're ever going to get him. So, um, of course, then, you know, August 1988, Willie Boy is found dead in his home. <laughs> so he's Gee, gone. I wonder who did it. Yeah. So Gotti then sets up quarters in a new place called the Ravenette in Little Italy. And this is where all of the mob families were together. And this was a very, it was hard to get in because it was all very insular. They were all part of that. Mm-hmm. And um, they managed to get a camera up that showed everybody coming and going outside of the Ravenette. So you're seeing, so, they, so they're able to see like, this is Gotti, this is his number one, this is number two, these are the people that he's meeting, this is who he's in with, this is where this is. And um, Gotti actually would have all of his capos and soldiers meet on Wednesday nights there so they said like they were able to get everybody in one place he said that's what was so different about this too was that um again this was a very very secretive um society that now they're gathering everybody in one place at one time Mm -hmm. and that's how the fbi was able to start seeing the dynamics of the family but they needed to get into the ravenette to actually bug it yeah so they got they got a warrant to to go in and um, you know bug the Ravenite. Mm-hmm. I don't know how how did they know when there was going to be nobody there? You know what? Nobody, no one was going to walk in on them or yeah. That I mean, <clears throat> well, basically, well, but they had one guy go in. I thought it was so interesting because I didn't know that there was such a thing as the FBI special ops. I was like, oh, that's kind of a cool job. But basically, they cut the wires. They cut the, they cut some phone wires. So one of these mobster guys calls up and says our phone, or I don't know how he did. Oh, that's right. And they, then they, they go and pretend to be a repairman. So yeah. one guy goes in and he gets the lay of the land mm-hmm. of like, where can we put this bug gets the lay of the land. And then after that, they call in their two like famous locksmen. Yeah. Um, and they do this thing called impressing a key. And it's like you shove it in the door and you, sh- you know, whatever, mm-hmm. when you turn it, like whatever the lock it, is. Yeah. Basically, they make a key. It took three to four hours for him to do it because there was so much foot traffic. 
and they broke in and they planted bugs. And that, I wrote this down too. They said they were in there for one to two hours. I'm like, really? It's well, what so is hard. this in the middle of the night? Yes, yes. Like when everyone's gone home, I guess. Yeah. But the problem was that where they planted the bug, they couldn't hear anything. Yeah. There was a cappuccino machine. There was an ice machine. Everyone's <laughs> talking television. at one. Yeah. yeah. And um, can't hear anything. So eventually it turns out that they broke in many times and moved the bugs around. But it still, it didn't, it wasn't working. Um, and... So they then go back to the 1986 tapes that the OC, this is a little strange because I didn't understand because this was one thing that was confusing. It was like back and forth between the OCTF guys and the FBI guys. And it's kind of confusing of like, which entity is now doing this? But um, uh, let's see. Well, this is where... um well, I don't know where you were going with that. Well, no, but. this is the whole thing about... So so they're moving this bug around. At the same time, the OCTF, they are also trying to make a case. So the FBI's got this bug. They're trying to work with their tapes from the Bergen Hunt and Fish Club. Mm-hmm. And they find a conversation about the labor union leader who went to Bankers and Brokers. Bankers and Brokers is a restaurant owned by the Gambino wise guy, and he used non-union carpenters. And the carpenter union yelled at him because, you know, you need to said, hey, this is owned by the mob. And um, it became this whole thing. And basically, the Gambino family went after this guy, John O'Connor, who's the union leader. And so the... Uh, well, Gotti ordered his, his hair because he wouldn't cooperate with, you know, yes. the rules. He wouldn't pay the $100,000 a week or a month or whatever mm-hmm. it was that he was supposed to be paying. Well, and I think he also, he used, he used these non-union guys, which was a big no-no. These, I will say, this is one thing that's very confusing about these stories, the way in which these guys tell these stories. I'm like, wait, what? You know, they, they, they... They kind of miss details. It's very confusing because, like, it, it was confusing about who was, was it, you know, were you mad because he wasn't going to pay? Were you mad because he used non-union carpenters? Like, it's kind of strange. Like, you never, I don't well, know. I that think was it just was, me. I think it was all of it. Yes. But and now I have here, now I thought this happened later because, okay, so now we're talking about the, um, <sighs> Was it the was it the FBI or was it the um, organized crime task force that got the um, the bug in the upstairs apartment? That was the FBI. So we're now at January 1989, and he's arraigned for the O'Connor shooting. Okay, so wait a minute. We so the O'Connor the O'Connor tr- trial that was a state case. Mm-hmm. So, but so the, so that trial started, but in the meantime, the FBI is still working their case. Yes, and yes. they somehow figure out that oh, they because um, you know they're listening to their tapes, and they realize that there's these long periods of time where nobody's talking, mm-hmm. and I think they might have also had some some kind of surveillance footage. They figure out that basically whenever Gotti and uh, Frank Lacasio, who's the underboss, and Sammy Gravano, 
who's the consigliere, whenever they want to talk about something important, they leave Mm -hmm. and they go upstairs. There's like this apartment upstairs. Well, because I think that by then they don't say this in the documentary, but I'm assuming that Gotti's like, oh, I'm being arraigned because of a conversation that I had in the club. So they know I better not not, talk in this club anymore. Yeah. So let's go up, which is a smart thing to do. But then the FBI figures out what they're doing and they manage to get a bug up there yeah they they, there's some old lady living up there but she's not always there and they kept calling her in the middle of the night (laughs) until she didn't answer yeah it was oh my god and then yeah so they sneak in there they get in there they break in they plant their um bug and they can hear everything but nothing happens for like three days like and so they tickled the wire a little bit right they decide to do an america's most wanted about castellano castell i don't think i don't think i'm saying his name right in an episode to see if they could get Gotti to talk and of course see they 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 um they appeal to his ego right and so the bug picks up Gotti and um sammy and frank you know talking about the murder yeah, outlining like, yeah. exactly how they killed him. Yeah, they don't. He doesn't admit it, but he outlines it. And then we get into the whole: How do you prove a Rico case? Yeah. So basically, so Rico is the acronym for the Racketeer Influenced and Corrupt Organizations Act. It started. It was in 1970. It was a federal act, and it was for the purpose of being able to convict people in these organizations like the mob yes where people all act separately they're all doing their own separate things that in and of themselves might not be a crime but it's a conspiracy they're all acting together for the common purpose Mm -hmm. and so you have to prove the existence of a criminal enterprise uh proof that the person you're prosecuting is a member of that criminal enterprise and then you have to have two what they call predicate criminal acts. So Mm -hmm. you have to commit at least two acts in furtherance of this conspiracy. Yes. As part of the organization. So this is what the FBI is working on. In January of 1990, the OCTF case starts. And because it's a state case, it can be televised. Mm -hmm. So... This was just like Gotti was now even more famous. Mm-hmm. And they had Gotti on tape uh, talking about the O'Connor murder. And um, the thing that was funny in the in the courtroom, you see everyone's wearing headphones except Gotti. Yeah. Gotti wouldn't listen to it. Yeah. He had no he he wasn't even going to hear it. Um, and <laughs> so one of the things that Gotti said was he said these lines bust him up. And it was part of the section of the tape. And somehow, I think it was, was it Cutler who managed to convince everyone or make them doubt whether or not he was really saying bust them up? Well, yeah, with semantics, it's yeah. like he said bust him up. And so the prosecution is saying, well, that means kill him. Mm-hmm. And Cutler's like, well, wait a minute. The, <laughs> what proof is there that bust him up you know, means that it can mean a different thing to a different person. And that's a very good argument. So it worked. Yes. Well, and at the same time, while the OCTF was working on their case in, you know, in real time, the FBI is still bugging him and the FBI picks up that 
Um, they, they, they pick up a few things. They pick up that maybe Gotti starts to get a little worried. He then asks Sammy, you know, if something ever happens to me, you can, you know, I want you to take over. And they also hear, the FBI hears that about jury tampering. Yeah. Because basically Gotti's like, well, we got to get someone we on the jury. We got to get some jurors. And essentially they were supposed to tell, the FBI was supposed to tell the OCTF if they heard anything about the jury tampering. But the FBI, you know, Basically, we're like, they found some sort of loophole in their own minds, well, essentially. Think, it was a little I like... I wouldn't say that they were supposed to tell them. Well, they had an agreement. I think that was the thing. That, From my understanding, the OCTF went to them and said, hey, you know, we, we all know we're both bugging him. We both know we're trying to get this guy. If you hear of anything with jury tampering, will you say anything to us? I don't remember that oh, at yeah. all. Oh, yeah. I do. Because, because that was kind the, of a thing because, between the FBI and the OCTF. Well, because at the end of the documentary yeah they all work together but no but at the end of the documentary this is specifically brought up where the guy so the guy from the fbi who was the head of the fbi investigation he said yeah we heard about this and we basically decided not to tell them Mm -hmm. and you know, he justified it in his mind. Because, again, at that point, they were in competition. Yeah, that's they, what I would just say. <laughs> okay, but but wait a minute. But you said that they had some agreement that they were going to exchange information if that ever happened. And I don't think that ever existed because the guy from the task force, then they cut to him. And he said, yeah. He said, you know, I would if I were in that position, I think I would have told them. But I understand why they didn't tell us. Hmm. Well, I think it was being a little more dip. I remember it as that they were a little bit more like maybe there's not a formal agreement, but I thought it was more of a, hey, if you know anything. I mean, listen, the FBI did not have to turn anything over. The FBI didn't. And in the end, what really helped Gotti's case in the end was what the OCTF (laughs) recorded. So it's just the sense that I got from the OCTF guys is that they had a lot of feelings about the FBI and the FBI felt very superior to the OCTF. Oh, yeah. They didn't like the way the FBI felt like, you know, they were better than them. And also Gotti was in their jurisdiction, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think they felt defensive about the fact that here we are in our own jurisdiction in, you know, in New York and this, whatever their jurisdiction was, was Brooklyn or Queens or that area. And they couldn't even get him. Yeah. And so then the FBI comes in. It's like, oh, well, the FBI has got to come in because you guys can't handle this. So, yeah, there was a, a lot of friction and they were not working together or helping each other. But guess all. what? Jo- Gotti found not guilty. <laughs> yeah. He gets off from the murder. Oh, and yeah, the people, the paparazzi was uh. there. The people on the streets are all cheering for him celebrities was this the one where celebrities were there yeah they have victory parties there were fireworks yeah fireworks and then that reporter barbara oh yeah they let her in and um they were drinking cristal out of paper cups <laughs> and then barbara claims i doubt this actually happened but she claims that she like made a toast to them and said remember gentlemen loose lips sink ships yeah. And it's like, no shit, Barbara. Like, yeah. You think these people don't know that? <laughs> You're telling the mob. <laughs> that made, and that's how he got the um, the moniker Teflon Don. You know, that nothing sticks to him. Um, but the FBI bug is still up. And what happens is, is Gotti's ego, it is off the charts. 
Um, you know, but the other mobsters, they're mad because he is just too public. They feel like, you know, you're egging these guys on because every single time that he would beat a rap, Gotti, mm-hmm. he would get, became more public and shoved it more in their face and more in their face. And these kind of old school mobsters are like, we're in, hello, shh. Mm-hmm. Why are you drawing attention to yourself? Like, right. stop drawing attention to yourself. And so they were upset with him. They were mad at him because they felt like the feds are now just desperate, desperate to put this guy away. And now you're being looked at even more. Um, so, OK, so the FBI, they finally get some um, get their case together with mm-hmm. all of these um they hit all tapes they got all the tapes and that was the thing they really they they thought well we don't want you know you can't cross-examine a tape recording you know tape recording's not going to go sideways Mm -hmm. you know we want to keep we just want to make this all about the tapes we want to keep the tapes so when the trial starts um well so, so they're charged with they have what they need to charge them they charge they arrest Gotti, sammy and frankie lacasio out at the Ravenette. Um, they're all charged with racketeering. And um, they asked the task force for their tapes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, they obliged. They finally started working together. And together, the two sets of tapes filled in a lot of gaps mm-hmm. of stuff that they only, the FBI maybe only had like part of the story or mm-hmm. one side of the story. But when they were able to merge the two sets of tapes, they were able to come up with a real comprehensive story to tell. So when the trial starts, um, they're playing all these tapes. And in one tape, Gotti is complaining about Sammy. Uh, Sammy the Bull Gravato. And he's talking about all these construction entities that he's running. And, um, you know, he's he's making he's admitting to killing people. And Mm -hmm. I mean, he's just, you know, they just got him going off. Well, and one thing that I thought was really interesting, I think one of the reporters uh, pointed this out, was that, you know, the public's image of Gotti was all on the street of like, hi, hello. Oh, they didn't get me, whatever. And so these tapes were him swearing. Very vulgar. And, you know, very, very vulgar. Every other word is fuck. Cocksucker. Yeah. Yeah. And it's him. And he is, you know, ruthless, aggressive. Mm-hmm. And I think that also shocked people. Like, yeah, like, oh, know, wait a minute. Well, oh, this guy kills people? Well, hold on a right. second. Like, oh, he's, he does not have a heart. He's not the killer with a heart of gold. Like, mm-hmm. he's really <laughs> awful. Yeah. So Sammy is pissed off because all this time he thinks I'm his consigliere. Like, mm-hmm. we're, we're partners. We're in this together. And he's just shit talking him. And almost like he wanted to kill him. Yeah. And like if, if yeah, if he had to, if one little thing went wrong, he, he would have no problem. Um, no problem killing him. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. So, you know, Sammy gets nervous um, and he realizes that Gotti probably will kill him mm-hmm. at some point. And so he contacts the FBI and he says that he wants to cooperate mm. and. I think they said initially they were a little bit hesitant because, you know, it, I mean, it's a human being. Mm-hmm. It, he's a he's a, a mobster. Yeah. He's killed people. He said, like, how uh, are they going to just think? Are they is the jury going to think that this is credible? Mm-hmm. Um, and anyway, he did testify and he detailed like 
seven different murders. Yeah. Well, he's the one that bribed the jury <laughs> in the in the first case, mm-hmm. the sixty thousand dollars. Yeah. Yeah, he just mentioned it all. Mentioned it all, baby. He told it all. Mm -hmm. And so it went to the jury. They deliberated for about a day and a half. And Gotti was convicted on all charges. Mm -hmm. And then they show people, like, rioting. Yeah. (laughs) They were upset. People were rioting in the streets. Yeah. So mad. Um, And... So Gotti, he got life in prison. Sammy got five years. Gotti dies in prison in 2002. Mm-hmm. What happened? I, Gravano, Sammy was killed. No, right? he's still alive. Oh, he's still alive? So, you know, isn't it his daughters that are on that Mob Wives show? Yeah, his daughter, Victoria. Like, okay, yeah. Or no, not Victoria. That's, that's, that's Gotti's Gotti. daughter. Um, I think her name is Karen. Yes, yes, you're right. Yeah, I only well, watched a few episodes of that mob mob wife. Well, the Gravano thing is so interesting because yeah, he he testifies, he does his time. I mean, how is he still alive? I don't know. They that's put, the other part. They put him in the witness protection program, and he stayed for like eight months. He didn't like it. He didn't like the rules. Mm-hmm. He said, "I'll take my chances." Yeah. He moved to Arizona, and then he and his ex wife, and his son, and his daughter, all got into drug trafficking and the whole entire family was convicted of drug trafficking. And I think like everyone got probation except for him. He, this is like in 2002, I think. Um, So he goes back to prison and he gets released in 2017. And now he has a YouTube channel and a podcast. Oh, okay. Well, maybe he could be a guest of ours. (laughs) called our thing our thing our thing so i might check that out oh yeah our thing okay to see um see what that's oh, all sammy about. are you a fan of sister wives sammy <laughs> why don't God. you come and listen to our show oh i thought i guess i got that wrong this is just a Any lot wrote, of information at once yeah. it's very easy to get confused by these details yeah. when you're furiously trying to write notes he because wrote, it was a lot of information he also wrote like a big tell-all book too mm. and you know, some people are mad at him. They still call him a rat. And yeah. Whatever. But yeah, Gotti, he um, died from throat cancer at 62. Wow. And I remember this because, you know, in 2003, 2004, Victoria Gotti, his daughter, had mm-hmm. a reality show. Oh, yeah. Growing it, up Gotti. Yeah. And it was her with her three boys. Mm-hmm. One of the boys was named John. One and was like Carmine. Yeah. And like Michael or something like that. Like these mm-hmm. very... Um, so... And it was just, it only lasted one season. But no, I, it was th- three. It was three seasons? I think so. Oh, my God. I thought, I think I only yeah. watched a few episodes. Maybe that's how long I lasted. Um, but it was funny because I remember when she went on her, like, tour talking about the show and promoting it. I remember I heard her on Howard Stern. And Howard Stern's like, I'm not going to criticize this show. Great show, Victoria. <laughs> Love it. Love yeah. you. The show. What are you yeah. doing? I mean, he was just like, I'm not going to say anything no. bad about any of these people. I'm keeping my mouth shut. I just no. thought it was so funny. Like, just how... Yeah, and but she was a character because that Victoria, she had super long hair, mm. like really long, blonde, like past her butt, long blonde hair. Like extensions before extensions yes, were in. Yes, yeah. and she was, before the New Jersey Housewives, yeah. she was, she like was that part perfectly. Well, she married a big mobster herself. Oh, she did? Who'd she marry? His last name is like... Let it's like L A N G E or L A G. It's like L L A. 
No, I can Something like that. But anyway, yeah, that's the father of her, her oh, the, sons. Oh, okay. Yeah, so she married a gangster. because. But the father wasn't really around, I remember, in the show. Because the boys no. are all grown. Probably they're went all, to prison. They're all, they were all in their 20s, but they all still lived at home. Mm-hmm. And... Um, yeah, I mean, she had a tremendous amount of money. I don't know if that was from the husband or from dad or what it is, but yeah. I don't know. I don't know. That show lasted three years. Yeah. Oh, my God. I thought it was like one year. I thought it was yeah. a one-hit wonder. Well, and also, too, it's kind of interesting, I was like, reading about John Gotti's childhood. You know, he grew up very, very poor. There was like 13 children. His father really could never support the family. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he kind of quit school at like 15 or 16 and, you know, started working. And I'm sure this all the the mob stuff was a way to make money. Yeah. You know, and he, um, you know, I think that informed a lot of his, you know, choices, Mm -hmm. you know. um, But the question then is, if if Gotti had less of an ego, mm -hmm. if Gotti had hidden more. Would it have all gone down like that? Do you know what I mean? There's, the, I do wonder, like, what would have happened if he could have had his ego in check, mm-hmm. um, and he, and, and you know, these people. What I was really surprised by was that you know they're bugging your, you now know that they're bugging your club. Why do you think that they wouldn't figure out how to then bug this apartment? Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? I, I would just think that he would have more stuff in place to like you know aren't there scanners and stuff to detect bugs you know wouldn't yeah. you wouldn't you talk in code wouldn't you not want to talk anywhere near anybody right. you know go like, outside go down yeah. to the river and like, talk get down naked there. or something and and yeah just so that i was really surprised i thought he was smarter than that well i mean like you said earlier there's only two ways this ends yeah death or prison and i i just think that the whole nature of being in the mob and all this kind of stuff is that you know, eventually, yeah. You know, you can you can do do these things to try to protect yourself, but yeah, I think people start to get comfortable, and if you get a little bit too cocky, and a little bit too comfortable, then it's going to all come crashing down sooner. Yeah. But eventually, you know, and, and also think about this: the federal government, especially. I mean, the 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 resources they have and the power they have. I mean, they'll get you eventually. Mm-hmm. They really will. I mean, you you just can't compete with that. And he couldn't. Yeah. You know? Well, and also, if you think about it, you know, you're committing crimes every single day. The, yeah. the government just needs one, right. <laughs> one conviction. One. That's it. You just have to screw up once. And, um, but I, I understand the lure of the lifestyle and the power, because mm-hmm. even when you go to prison, I'm assuming that Gotti still had a tremendous amount of right. power in prison, you know, or that he could still rule the family from prison. So did you watch The Sopranos? Oh, yeah. I mean, yeah, that was the whole thing with The Sopranos is as charming as Tony Soprano was. He was he was a ruthless killer. Mm-hmm. He was an awful person. And mm-hmm. I think that is this anti-hero which we have a lot of in and on tv it's it's hard to wrap your brain around that because there is something very mysterious and cool and dangerous but when you when you really cross a line you realize like these are not people you want to be anywhere near no at all it's not glamorous it's it's really not it's it's horrible yes 
So. All right. Well, on that note. <laughs> so would you give this a thumbs up or thumbs down? Oh, yeah, thumbs got up. It was good. I liked it. I liked yeah, it Yeah, it was a lot to absorb in three hours. A lot of information. But, yeah. Um, and a lot of stories that this is one of the hardest thing about these documentaries. There's so many stories and you're like. Oh, I got to write this down because I don't know if the story is going to be important again. Important, and then you realize yeah. like, oh, that wasn't important. I, yeah. I didn't need to write that down. So, yeah. Anyway, well, thank you so much for tuning in. We really appreciate it. If you like this podcast, uh, please go to Apple and give us a five star review. Review. Can't talk. Um, if you have not already started to subscribe, please subscribe to the podcast. That also helps us out. And check us out on Psych Legal Pop on, on Instagram and TikTok. Um, we are continuing our Sister Wives coverage on Tuesdays. And we will get back to our Sister Wives Rewind. We've... Um, if you're a big Sister Wives fan, you can go back and listen to our Rewind. We did the first five seasons all the way through. Um, but right now we're just focusing on the new season and these documentaries. Um, anything else? No, but think that's, that's it. All right. Thank you so much. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF podcast. And this episode is brought to you by Kleenex ultra soft tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves better than a drugstore card. This Mother's Day, surprise her with a truly special personalized card from Moonpig. Add your favorite photos, a heartfelt message, and we'll even mail it for you the same day, all for just $5. From mom to grandma, we have something to celebrate every mom in your life. Every mom deserves a Moonpig card. Get 50% off your first card at Moonpig.com. Moonpig.com